This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Ball Factory, a Japanese eatery and coffee shop at 95 Montrose Avenue in East Williamsburg. Learn more at brooklynballfactory.com. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, people of color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Fukatema, food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. I hope everybody is safe and well, and we normally broadcast live from our studio at the Waters in Bushwick, Brooklyn, but our studio is currently closed due to the coronavirus outbreak. So we are recording this episode remotely and in my apartment in Williams, Brooklyn, and uh, my guest, Sakura, I assume she is from, we'll, we'll tell, tell you later. Uh, so anyway, so this show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guest. And my guest today is Sakura Yagi, who is the Chief Operating Officer at the TIC Group, and the TIC group is very important for the Japanese food culture in New York City. It is founded by Sakura's father, Bon Yagi, who is regarded as the founder of the Japan Town in East Village. In 1994 and 1984, Mr. Yagi opened his first restaurant, Hasaki, in East Village. This great sushi restaurant is still there and remains very popular. And actually, that's one of my definitely one of my favorite restaurants in New York City. Mm-hmm. And after yeah. Hasaki, yeah, and uh, yeah, Mr. Yagi opened many more approachable and high-quality restaurants, and the TIC Group is now operates 13 restaurants in Manhattan. And if you're interested in Mr. Yagi's intriguing life and inspiration, uh, you can listen to episode 14. And Sakura joined his father eight years ago and has been working hard to keep the company authentic as well as fresh and modern. So today we'll discuss why Sakura decided to work for his father's company, challenges she faces in managing the diverse collection of Japanese restaurants, why is, what is happening in the Japanese food culture in New York City right now, and much, much more. But before you start, Japan Eats is available on Heritage Video Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. So now let's start our conversation uh, with Sakura Yagi. Hello, Sakura. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So this is exciting. Um, so you know, we had your father, Mr. Bon Yagi, on episode 14, as I said, back in 12, 2015. And he's uh, truly a forward thinker and a great leader of the community. He's built over, I think, 36 years here in New York, New York. And he gets so tremendously about the younger generations and his community and 
actively supporting them, whether by providing opportunity as an employer or by generously donating money. So I really respect your father. Thank you so much. Um, he definitely says that community is one of the most important things and uh, community is what helps not just his business, but also life in general. And um, having a kid of my own, I definitely understand what he's talking about. And I uh, was raised to, to put importance on community. Um, and that's something that I want to pass on as well. Mm, wow. Okay. So, so you are from New York, of course, and then grew up in a great environment where you had access to any high-quality Japanese food that you'd like. So what did you eat when you grew up? Well, I spend most of my dinners um, at home, actually. I still think my mother's home cooking, uh, traditional Japanese home, home meals, is the best thing ever. Um, and so, like any other kid, I think, um, I grew up really enjoying my mother's cooking, and that's where my main frame of reference um, is rooted in terms of Japanese food, the, the, the flavor profiles that Japanese food is and should be actually come from my mother's cooking. Um, wow. And and um, we operate a bunch of restaurants. And of course, I grew up going to the restaurants and um, eating out um, a lot. But I would say the majority of the things that I ate uh, was um, due to my mother's cooking. And I actually didn't ever have um, like demai, like takeout, um, until I actually went to college. So my mother cooked all of our meals and or we would go out to eat. So I was very privileged with that. Right, you are. <laughs> right. And I was very impressed that the first time I think exchanged email uh, about your father's show, and uh, I was impressed. Your, you, your writing in Japanese is also perfect, too. That really indicates that you have very real understand, understanding Japanese culture, despite the fact that you're born and raised here. So that's very interesting to me. Oh, thank you. My mother um, really wanted us to not be held back by our language ability. And so she really made it her mission to uh, try to teach us and encourage us to learn Japanese, um, not just language-wise, but culturally and I still find it difficult to write emails in Japanese. It's much, it requires much more effort than an English email. Um, and there are times when I, I mess up a lot, but um, I think at least trying or attempting to um, is, is, is important. So um, I, I'm very appreciative of my, again, mother for um, training me to, to do that, to speak right. Japanese and um, and to study it. Right. Awesome. She did an amazing job. So, <laughs> and then when you grew up, how did you feel about your father running many successful Japanese restaurants and building a kind of important community? Did you want to be a part of it one day? I think I was already a part of the 
the company. I grew up in the company. Um, I would say that the the restaurants are almost like siblings to me. Um, I don't think I was the first born child, even though human wise I am. I would say that you mentioned Hasaki in 84. I would say that that is probably his first born child um, in the sense <laughs> of, you know, he created this restaurant that he poured his um, heart and what sweat, blood, and tears into. And it's very similar to raising a child in a way, um, you know, building a restaurant and constantly looking after it and making sure that it's okay. And, you know, um, I think, so I have, I grew up with a lot of restaurants that seem to me like siblings um, and the staff that, that, operate the restaurants are very much um kind of extended family i would say I, I some some staff have worked for our restaurants for 20 years um and so i've they've known me for that long um and so it is kind of like a big family or a community uh and and it's not something that you know in terms of my career uh, and I'm i'm sure we'll get into this but you know, I, I always saw myself as part of the company, um, mm -hmm. whether that was by choice or by like osmosis. Um, but I grew up in it. So um, it was just right. part of me. Right. I'm sure you were the easiest one among all those siblings. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you worked in research, media and public relations um, before you joined the TIC group in 2012. So why did you decide to work for your father's company? I graduated college um, right around the time um, of financial turmoil, uh, you know, when the Lehman Brothers, um, you know, the Lehman shock and everything. So it was really difficult to find a job, but I was determined to kind of go off on my own and do my own thing. Um, but I stayed in New York and I did a lot of odd jobs and then ended up in PR. But in 2012, um, my father actually was diagnosed with um, uh, prostate cancer. And so when that happened, I thought to myself, what's going to happen with the company? Um, he didn't have a succession plan. And so I thought, hey, you know, if I'm slaving away at work, um, putting countless of hours into a company, why not do it for my family, do it for a company that my father worked very worked very hard to, to build. And so um, I told him, I told him and my mother that I plan to join the company to try to help him develop a plan of action um, for the next phase of, or the next decade. Um, and um, I got a, actually a lot of pushback from my parents um, saying that they did not want me to join the company, um, primarily because they wanted me to do something that they were not able to do as first uh, generation immigrants. I was the first person out of my immediate family to go to college. My Both of my parents didn't go to college. Um, and so, you know, they had more um, 
white collar aspirations for me, uh, to put it in a nice way. They wanted to meet wanted me to be the typical, you know, doctor or lawyer or something, something along those lines. Um, but I figured that this joining the company was the best thing that I could do. And it was the job that possibly I was the only one who could do. Um, that was the, that was the thought that came into my mind. Um, and that's why I joined the company without my parents' blessing. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. But why? What's the? Why do you think you are the right person? I think I was the right person only because um, I think that in order to assist my father in upgrading the systems and making changes that were necessary, he needed someone who understood. Um, the core of his business, but also was willing to um, to be the no person, to be the person to to kind of twist his arm into doing things that maybe he didn't want to do. Um, and that was something that I became the person to do, uh, whether it was upgrading our uh, point of sale system or um, getting him to do email, uh, have an email address, um, you know, things, things that maybe required more um, uh, teeth pulling or, you know, just uh, things that didn't really seem necessary to him. Uh, I thought that I could convince him to adopt because I was in the unique position of being a family member his daughter and um, could kind of propel him into the next the next phase of his company right and of course you totally understand everything about each restaurant's culture and who's working and mentality of it so yeah that's great um, so tell us about the TIC group so what what is a corporate philosophy and what restaurants do you have so the corporate philosophy is authentic Japanese food. Our motto is um, enjoy Japan without airfare. And so we, we try to create each restaurant, not just in the food, but the atmosphere and the feeling to be as if you were transported to Japan. Um, and as you uh, generously mentioned, we have um, several restaurants in Manhattan um, some of them including Sakagura, Decibel, uh, High Collar, Shabutatsu, Rai Rai Ken, Korea, Sobaya, Odafuku, Cha'an, uh, Hasaki. I'm like, <laughs> did I mention them all? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some of them, but they're all different concepts. Um, and they all try to um, transport you. Uh, with the food and or atmosphere um, and that's that's our mission um, and he really my father really emphasizes um, the feeling the not just not just you go in for a meal and it tastes like what you would have in Japan it's more about you know um, everything else besides that whether that's 
you know, where the noren is or how the chopsticks are laid out or, you know, just the vibe of, of the place. And it's not just the structure, but it's also um, the, the, the staff and um, how the customers feel. So it's a very new thing, but that's something that he really cares about. Right. Yeah, I sometimes imagine, what if I just go to, you know, Hasaki or Sakagura or whatever, I feel like the moment I was in Japan, when I leave the restaurant, like, wow, this is New York City. So, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how long that kind of motto has on vibe, like, so strongly. And uh, you guys are doing amazing. Yeah. So, um, so the... Or the TIC Group's restaurant concepts are, like you said, authentic. But you grew up in New York. And how did you learn the authentic Japanese food culture? Did you go to Japan often? Or what's, and of course, your mother must be really important too. Yes. Um, but I do think that uh, going to Japan, I would go to Japan um, at least twice a year when I was younger. Um, my, I would spend my summers in Japan. So once school was over here, over or was done in in New York, my my mother and I and my my brother we would go to Japan, stay at my grandmother's place, and we would actually go to Japanese public school um, for a month or so um, until because uh, schools in Japan don't break for summer until you know, end of July. So here in New York, it would be over in end of May or early June. So you had almost two months or so to to go to school in Japan. Um, and so my mother would send me to the, the elementary school that she went to in Japan. Um, and I would have to go to school for those extra months. Um, wow. And so <laughs> to get that to get that, and and you know, at that time, I was very, very resentful of the fact that I had to continue going to school. But you know, looking back, I was I'm really grateful because I have a lot of um, memories um, that only Japanese people who went to school in Japan have. Like, you know, things like um, Morning Glory Diary, like Asagao Niki, like things like that. You know, like if I didn't go to school in Japan. For those months, I would have never had the experience um, or the the you know the the privilege to know what it feels like to go to school in Japan. So I, I feel very lucky to have experienced that. And in that same in that same breath, you know, by to just kind of live like Japanese people do in Japan, um, whether that's you know I don't know if this is a good example, but for example, in Japan. Um, we we were in Tokyo. We were in Saitama, which is like uh like Connecticut of you know of in comparison to um to the states. Um, like New York is Tokyo. Saitama is kind of like Connecticut. But um so we would cut, we were in the suburbs. But my idea of like ramen takeout or like demae is like this this young guy on a moped who would have like a silver box on the back of his moped and you would have ceramic bowls, ramen bowls, 
um, that would have your ramen piping hot in it and it would have tons of saran wrap wrapped around it. And after you have your bowl of ramen that they would deliver to your house, you would wash the ceramic bowl and put it outside your house so that the ramen shop, the local ramen shop could come around and pick up the, the bowls, the ceramic bowls to bring it back to the store. I mean, that is my concept of takeout ramen. And I think having that kind of reference point of of what takeout ramen is kind of has shaped what you know we want our ramen to be like and kind of try to strive for that not that we are able to do that in New York City but to know that that's what we're aiming for or that's what you know it should be um is an interesting right. mm, um, interesting so point. Yeah, it's like uh, the community feeling, right? You kind of, you're responsible, you ate, you wash your thing. And uh, I mean, here in New York City, if you left the bowl, probably it's going to be stolen. <laughs> but <laughs> so it's yeah. just a scream. And, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. And so probably you experienced the uh, school lunches in Japan too, right? While you were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right? So that's kind of like you are, you have a very different idea of what food is like in is the part of your life and uh responsibility too so i definitely think so yes i think right. my parents my parents instilled in me the that they've always said that food is kind of the window to the culture and so you know i was very very privileged my parents uh my father especially loves to travel um, and so we would go to different places all around the world and we would really just dive into the food and, you know, not just the places. I mean, this is pre like, you know, guidebooks or Google, but, you know, just the local shop and talk to the locals and see what they were eating and talk to them about it and just kind of dive into the food culture that way. Um, kind of like Anthony Bourdain style. And that's, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, we want to provide that for for New Yorkers, and I think we have in the sense that you're exposed to the Japanese food through our restaurants, and then you go to Japan, and you know, even if it's ramen, for example, or soba, you 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 try it here, and then you're like, wow, like I really want to go to Japan and like try the different types of takoyaki, or you know, um, just have what Japanese kare is like, or, you know, go have real shabu shabu or yakiniku at, in Japan, like to kind of whet that appetite, um, literally, uh, for people in New York, and then, and for people coming back from Japan, you know, people who take a trip to Japan, and they love to going to Osaka and eating takoyaki, and they, they look for a place that, that serves it and that's what we provide kind of like um oh you're missing your japan trip well come come have a taste at our place and we have a lot of customers uh because they they went to japan and they wanted to you know they they were um koishi they were like they missed the they missed the food that they had in japan so right. it's, it's, yeah. it's very interesting yeah right and it's it's really pleasing to find actual authentic food back in New York. So I really appreciate your place. Um, so um, as the CEO of the company, what's your mission? 
My mission has always been the same from the beginning, which is to make the restaurant or the the group or the business sustainable for the long run. Um, I think creating a company that has a solid infrastructure um, that can last uh, beyond my own generation. Um, that's been my goal. Um, will the company operate without me? Uh, will the company survive me? Um, and that's kind of what I have um, prioritized from the beginning um, and continue to prioritize. Um, and it's, it's uh, they say that in the family business, the second and third generation is the most critical. Uh, it's, you know, the farther you get away from the founding entrepreneurial spirit, um, the less the less uh, successful it can be. And so, mm. you know, I wanted to make sure that me joining the company meant that the company had a future, and that's kind of why I joined, and mm. that's been my mission. Right. Um, so, so to give, sorry, hmm. to give yeah, like okay. tangible. To give tangible examples, it's, uh, I've really used technology to try to um, make the company more efficient and to, um, to make systems that required less uh, human errors and um, could be more efficient in terms of time um, and, and uh, the amount of hours that people needed to work. I, I, my father is probably the hardest person, hardest working person that I know. Um, and, you know, my friends think I'm a workaholic, but I point to my father and I say, no, he is. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I wanted to create systems in which, you know, my father or I could check in on the restaurants without necessarily physically being in five places at once um, and trying to make that possible for him uh, and for myself and, and for whoever else. Um, and so mm -hmm. I've used technology to try to make that happen. Right. Well, I, I'd imagine your father studied the first restaurant and organically grew, right? So he didn't have time to take a look and review and automate everything. So you are doing it. And I heard that you did, you added things like uh, email, direct deposit, form K programs, health insurance, and all those things, very important. But he probably didn't have time before. So I, I think the difference between him and me is he has the experience of building something from the ground up, from zero. He knows and has the confidence to build. And if it doesn't go well to switch and to pivot and make things um, to fix things. Um, and I, you know, I joined the company without the, without understanding or knowing through my body and feel what it means to um, build a company. And so the difference there manifests in the sense of, he need, he knows by feel. He knows by um, what's the word in English? Um, 
just intuition. Um, mm. You know, he has that street smart kind of, um, he has that, yeah, he has that street smart, the intuition, and uh, I call it the antenna, he knows. Versus mm. me, I need metrics, I need data, I need to see uh, tangibly um, in order to make decisions. And so, you know, I think therein lies the difference in, in, uh, in our operation structure or style in the sense that um, he didn't need the, he didn't need necessarily a more rigid structure in order to operate his business uh, because he, he could feel things. He had the intuition versus me um, and whoever comes after me needs metrics, needs um, numbers to, to know where to go to chart the course. Um, right. so, so you you and your father are like yin and yang like almost like you have a perfect <laughs> pair to run the business um, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case but thank right? you for saying that I think so and uh, so then how what does your day look like as the CEO of the company with 13 restaurants I would say that um, pre-COVID my, my days um, looked like kind of like a firefighter maybe in the sense <laughs> that I was putting out fires I mean I guess even now I'm, I'm putting out fires left and right um, I'm trying to work towards creating a system where I am more proactive than reactive but a lot of my job was to fix things to problem solve which is the best part of my job I, I find it so interesting even though if it can be kind of tiresome I found my job to be very riveting in the sense of every day the problems were different but also the same because I was just problem solving um, but in terms of the different types of problems that I had whether that it was you know, trying to renegotiate our beef or coming up with a better menu structure or um, replying to customer suggestions or trying to think of a better social media approach or um, HR issues or um, figuring out structural license issues, things like that. It was just, the problems are all, um, problems and that's what makes the, the job the same every day but mm, it's like you're it living in a giant game and you're very <laughs> uh, positive and you know for problem solving I think the way you look at it uh, it's a challenge um, it, and it's an opportunity to learn from so yeah that's great I really like your attitude um, so then what is the biggest challenge for you as the CEO of the restaurant group um, which, by the way, operates such a diverse range of Japanese food concept, right? It's not like a Nobu or something like one concept, many branches. It's just each one of them is very different. So what's the biggest challenge? I think from an operational standpoint, it's knowing where to standardize systems because it's not one size fits all. And not, not to say that the chains are one size fits 
install, but it's harder to it's harder to create manuals. It's harder to standardize things when you have such a diverse prof, uh, portfolio, and that's definitely the biggest operational challenge. I think in terms of if you're asking me as in my job, what is the biggest challenge? I would definitely, without a doubt, say family business structure is probably the hardest part of my job um, in the sense that um, it's a blessing to be able to be close to my family. Um, but at the same time, it definitely complicates the company uh, in terms of operationally speaking and just emotion from an emotional standpoint. I would say that um, some people might assume that family business, you know, you get a lot of um, that it's easier, but actually I think it can be very, very difficult uh, in many ways. And so, um, I think working with family is probably the most difficult part of my job. Right. Okay. So uh, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss the latest trends in the New York City Japanese food culture and how Sakura is coping with the coronavirus crisis. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Ball Factory, a Japanese eatery and coffee shop at 95 Montrose Avenue in East Williamsburg. Brooklyn Ball Factory uses the best ingredients to make Japanese comfort food, like their bento boxes featuring meatballs, grilled veggies, Japanese fried chicken, or pork shabu shabu. Plus, visit Brooklyn Ball Factory's sister restaurants, Momo Sushi Shack, Samurai Papa, Samurai Mama, Bozu and Kitare Shokudo. Learn more at BrooklynBallFactory.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Japanese. I'm your host, Takiko Atayama, and my guest today is Sakura Yagi, who is the Chief Operating Officer at the TIC Group, which operates 13 unique Japanese restaurants in New York City. So,、um, so Japanese food has become very popular lately all over the world. And What are the customer demographics at the TIC Group restaurants? I would say that in recent years, it has definitely skewed towards、um, young Asian、um, patrons.、Uh, we're especially in an area where NYU students are、uh, prevalent. And so, as NYU student body has changed to include a lot more international students. I think our、um, patron de- demographic has changed、um, a lot.、Mm, um, in, in that sense, though, we, I would say that, sorry, I would, I would say that.、Um, I would say that we still have customers who have been dining with us for 30 years, <laughs> who are not just locals, but also people who have moved and who have、um, just been a loyal customer for all these years. And so I would say that those customers are our bread and butter. 
Mm, wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. That's the reflection of how you stay authentic and hasn't been diluted or anything. So that's really a clear indication how successful the company's concept is so far. Um, so um, the, you know, you are, um, oh, actually, well, I have to ask this one. So you are in a unique position in the, in, to be able to capture the latest of Japanese food trend in New York City through your restaurants. And also as, you know, manager of the restaurant, you probably look into many different areas of the food industry. So what are the latest trends in Japanese food culture right now? I think that people are becoming more aware of the different types of Japanese food there are. I think maybe uh, six years ago, people didn't really know what omurice was. I would say that uh, people are now expanding the meaning of Japanese food. Um, you know, there there's definitely um, an interesting progress of what Japanese food means to people. I would say that in the 90s, it was about sushi. Um, and sushi is still very popular, but I would say that um, pre-COVID, I think, you would say omakase um, to anyone in New York, and people would instantly think that it's omakase sushi. Um, and so I think Japanese terms have become very um, mainstream, um, even though it might be a little skewed. Uh, for example, omakase doesn't necessarily mean sushi, but I think most people, most New Yorkers think that way. Um, and in that sense, also, um, yoshoku, or like Western Japanese food, has become very, very trendy um, in terms of what kind of, yeah, and what kind of Japanese food there is. You can see it not just in New York, but I think, um, you know, I have friends who are in um, Nashville who are talking about um, tamago sando or omurais, you know, things a little bit more um, yoshoku focused. Right. So can like, you maybe is- explain briefly, because a lot of uh, listeners probably don't know what yoshoku is. So what is yoshoku? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, once again. Busy COO. Sorry, sorry. Uh, let sorry. Me- Okay. Uh, shoot. Yeah. Okay. Can you maybe airplane the the phone? Sure. Put it. Okay. Yeah. I just did it too. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Um. Okay. I think that should be okay. Um. Okay. Um. Sorry about that. Um. So Yoshoku is. Yoshoku is Western Japanese food um, in the sense that they are taking what is known as traditionally uh, Western food, like um, sandwiches, um, but putting a a Japanese spin to it. For example, um, like pasta, you have um, Napolitan pasta, which is made with ketchup, for example, and that's a very 
Japanese kind of food uh, that a lot of Japanese kids grew up eating, um, but you wouldn't immediately think that it's Japanese. Or omurice is one of my favorites, but it's omelet um, with ketchup rice. And that's something that a lot of uh, parents would make for their, their kids. And um, that's something that I also grew up eating and I personally love. Um, and Me that, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody should try eat it. And yoshoku should be something very comforting. And um, yeah, and some, somehow it's usually, I mean, it's like very home cooking, but there are specialized restaurants and um, it's simple but deep. And uh, I think it's kind of appealing as appealing as ramen in a way because it's so comforting. Exactly. I think. People are now seeing Japanese food not just as this high-end experience, but that there are elements to it which um, is comforting. Uh, I think, um, you know, ramen, the trend of ramen, uh, it really just brought out this idea that Japanese food can be um, like a comfort food. And I think that's where it's trending in the sense of yoshoku chu. It's, it's something that I grew up reading as a kid and it's for me, ultimate comfort food. Um, kare also is a comfort food for me. Um, you know, for a lot of um, athletes to, you know, katsukare, uh, like korkatsu, uh, cutlet uh, with Japanese curry and rice. I mean, that's, something that you eat before a big game you know it's just <laughs> this this uh this image of japanese food not being this dainty you know um i don't know how to ex explain it besides right. dainty, i but mean the kind of, yeah yeah it's like on top of a rich creamy curry probably you get a lot of energy and you can you can start running right away um yeah. You know, it's a well. The, the thing is that, like you said, Japanese foods tend to be still sushi or ramen, but there's so much. And great thing about your group is that the totally different kinds of food that we normally don't know being existing if you're exactly. not in Japan. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, all right. So that was Yoshoku, and you were. I mean. Listeners, you really definitely should uh, take a look at the TIC groups, restaurants, or menus. It's amazing. Um, so, um, so you are Japanese American, grew up in New York, but your job is very focused on authentic Japanese culture. So, you have a very unique vantage point of Japanese culture. So, what do you think is the most wonderful thing about Japanese culture and Japanese food culture? Hello unique thing um i think that like we were just talking about i think it's very wide ranging um you have very upscale that you know you have the kaiseki and to experience that kind of hospitality that um and to be able to have that kind of experience that's so authentically Japanese. But then you can go to this hole-in-the-wall, grungy, you know, 
five seat ramen shop where no one talks to each other and you just slurp and you like weave. That's also very authentically Japanese. And I think that range is so interesting in Japan um, and in Japanese food culture. And I feel very lucky to be able and privileged to have experienced that whole kind of range um, mm. uh, is, is interesting. Right. Okay. And uh, so what are your plans in the short term and the long term? Because I heard you initially planned to stay in the company for only five years and you passed it. So what is your plan? I think that that's a very interesting question to ask during um, COVID only because like everybody else, the, the future is so unknown. Um, I think this is a time for the restaurant industry to really assess how it's been operating. Um, and we're not, we're not, you know, um, we also have to reassess what our business is like, how we can survive and what our future holds. And it looks very different from what we thought it was going to be. Um, but I think to reimagine, to re, as Cuomo says, reimagine, pivot, all these things um, is what we're doing right now. And so I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. It's really hard to say. But I spend my days right now working at one of the restaurants where we consolidated a few of our brands into one location so that we can keep an eye on the brands and uh, the operations much more closely um, to keep um, our restaurant operating. Um, I think right now it's not about profitability, but about uh, trying to create jobs and keeping our staff safe. And so my immediate goal is to attempt to try to get back on our feet. Um, the restaurant industry has been pretty much decimated by this virus. So, you know, we're still uh, standing, but I wanna make sure that we continue standing, but on solid feet, not on wobbly feet. And so my job right now is to, to do that, to take care of this place, to take care of the restaurants that are open, and mo most importantly, take care of our staff that is um, that is manning these restaurants um, to make sure that we have a future. Right. Yeah. After this, if you pass, get this through, you are invincible. There's nothing like this. <laughs> um, yeah. So I and, think. Mm, go ahead. I think that it's such a devastating time that we're in. Um, and to acknowledge that it is devastating is important, but it can also be an opportunity to really sit, reflect, think about what is important. And I think that's what we're all trying to do. What is important, whether that's in our own personal lives or in work and, um, we're trying to, or at least I'm trying to make it a point to 
really assess what can we do? How can we, same thing as when I joined the company, how can we survive this as a company? And realistically speaking, how can we weather the storm? And I think it just is about one problem at a time. And there are days when it's really, really difficult to just focus on that one problem in front of you because you're thinking of all the other problems that are swirling in your mind. But if you, if I tell myself, if I can just figure out one problem, um, I can get to the next problem. And that's kind of been my mantra these few couple weeks. And again, it goes back to community. I have local restaurant owner friends. Um, we have one restaurant that's right next to us. That's a Vietnamese restaurant, Madame Vo. But, you know, just talking to fellow people and, you know, supporting each other. It's, it goes back to what my father has been saying from the beginning in the sense of community um, is, is what moves us forward. Mm, right. Yeah, that's really important. And uh, I have to remember, there's one thing, you solve it, and that's the only thing you can do, that you focus and you clear it. There's something else. I think you are almost like going to the gym. Your muscles are stronger by solving one thing, and next you're getting stronger. So it is hard, but I think after this, I think everybody's stronger and smarter. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think, you know, my heart goes out to everyone who's lost, you know, a loved one because of it. But at the same time, I do think that maybe it, it's, it's, it's also a time to just reflect on what our lives have been so far and how we want to shape what our future looks like. And that's, you know, I'm not I'm not immune to that either. You know, I'm reflecting on what I need to do. And um, my daughter's uh, a year and a half. And, you know, this, what the future holds um, is just up in the air now. So if you think about it that way, then it lets you kind of imagine more and think more and think about the possibilities. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very, very interesting, scary, yet um, eye-opening time, I would say. Right. Okay. So, so New York City is right now um, gradually and surely op- reopening the restaurant. So what, what is, which one is open and what is your strategy right now? I mean, like listeners who wants to order something from there, which one is open? Thank you. Yeah. So at the beginning of... Um, COVID, uh, we closed all of our locations just out of abundance of caution. Um, and, uh, after a few weeks of being closed at all of our locations, we, or I reopened up Korea, um, just to do some hospital donations to, uh, our healthcare workers and just kind of I was inspired by another um, East Village restaurant, 886, a Taiwanese restaurant who was doing the same thing. And, you know, it really gave me a sense of purpose. And it also um, allowed me to keep the engine going so that when things restarted, uh, we had, you know, a little bit of momentum, um, very small momentum, one location, 
but so Korea has been open uh, for the longest. Um, but what we did was we combined our Korea shop uh, with our ramen shop. So now we're located in one location in Rai Rai Ken. So you can order ramen and curry um, as well as takoyaki um, from our um, one shop on 10th Street. We're yeah, also that open. sounds very confident. <laughs> like all those things. Yes, yes, it's it's, a, it's like a one-stop comfort shop. Um, mm. Right next to us, we have Shabutatsu that's open um, for dinner service. Uh, alfresco uh, dining on Ishiaki, um, like hot stone grilling. That's kind of what we're doing right now, as well as bibimbap. Um, so that's open mm. for Shabutatsu, and we recently reopened. Um, High Collar, our Yoshoku place that does great omurice, and um, we opened that, mm, or we, nice. we relocated yeah. that, yeah, we relocated that spot onto our 9th Street place, so everyone's finding a new home, but High Collar, Takebar Decibel, Sobaya, and Hasaki are open for outdoor dining and takeout um, on 9th Street, so... Um, 9th Street is becoming very Nigiaka. It's very um, lively. And um, also on 10th Street, too. Uh, we're kind of holding down the fort. So, yeah, I think East Village is opening up. And it's been not just our locations, but um, I know you had Arena on your program, Yoshida. Their locations are open, some of them. And um, on St. Mark's Place, uh, I know you know, some of the uh, Taiwanese places, the other Asian places are open. So East Village is definitely um, trying to get back on its feet. And, you know, we're open for business. So people should come by. Right. Great. So where can we uh, check all the updates about your restaurants? Um, the best thing is actually to either follow each of our restaurants Instagram or um, self-plug right here, but you can also follow all of the most recent updates by following my personal Instagram handle where I post everything about our restaurant groups. Um, I find it the easiest. Uh, so my handle is um, at Sakura underscore Yagi. Um, that's where I post everything about our restaurants. So cool. please follow and me also, there. And also the new... Beautiful website that you built, I believe, is uh, www.tic-nyc.com. Tic-nyc.com, right? So, and you see all the beautiful list of restaurants. Thank you. Yeah, so, okay, so thank you for joining us today uh, in your (laughs) super busy schedule. uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, keep me posted and uh, I'll come back again and we'll talk about more yes yes please come and visit um have have a bowl of ramen or curry on me and uh we'll uh, weather this storm together ah, yes sure definitely yeah yeah but seriously i think i learned so much from your good spirit so thank you so much thank you thank you so much for having me on your show I, it was a really great time great uh, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or akikuatema.com. Japaneeds is always available at heritageradionetwork.org 
iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. An engineer is Matt Patterson, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.